0: Hello friends and welcome to the sermons podcast of Christ Church at Grow Farm. One of our goals here at CCGF is to help you take your next step toward Jesus and the person God designed you to be. We hope our sermons help you to take that next step. If you would like more information about the community here at Christ Church at Grow Farm, or if you would like to contact us, you can do all of that and more on our website, which is ccgf.org. And to get an even further taste of who we are, You can follow us on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and YouTube. Now, here is this week's message. Grace and peace to you. Well, Merry Christmas. You know, we got a live crowd here tonight. This is good. Yeah, Merry Christmas. We're so glad you're here. Thank you for coming to Christ Church to worship with us. We know that you have a lot going on, but we're grateful you've made time to be with us. I want to help you get into the Christmas mood. So, I have, I have in my own time created the definitive list of classic Christmas movies. I'm going to share it with you right now. This shouldn't stir up any controversy at all. Number one, of course, is Christmas with the Cranks. Just kidding. That's a terrible movie. Don't watch that one. Don't waste your time. That's not number one at all. Number one is It's a Wonderful Life. Don't you love that one? There's no classic Christmas movie list that's complete without It's a Wonderful Life. Number two on my list is A Christmas Story. Classic from the 80s. Isn't that a great picture? Love that moment. That's a good one. Number three, one of my favorites, Elf. (laughs) I chose that picture because that's my wife's favorite scene in the movie. I like that one too. Santa, I know him. It's a good part. Number four, absolutely the number one favorite in our household, Home Alone. Great Christmas movie, right? And then number five, I don't think any list would be complete without Christmas Vacation. You know, there's a scene in Christmas Vacation that is probably my favorite scene. It's the scene where, where Clark Griswold gets the Jelly of the Month Club notice. <laughs> and as you remember, he had a special gift in mind for his family, wanted to, to build a swimming pool in his backyard. That would be the Christmas gift that Clark was going to give to his family. And really it was about having his family happy and being together. But instead, he got the jelly of the month club. Clark, that's the gift that keeps on giving the whole year. Clark Griswold's plans were interrupted. Interrupted. That reminds me of something that we see in the birth narrative of Jesus. Matthew chapter 1 is we're going to be now If you want to grab a Bible in front of you or read along with us on the screens, you can do that. In Matthew 1, the very first half of the chapter is the genealogy of Jesus. It's fascinating. 32 generations. 32 generations are listed. And one of the names you see listed in verse 16 of Matthew 1 is the name of a person we're going to be talking about tonight, and that's Joseph. Okay, in fact, if you look at Matthew 1, it says, Jacob, the father of Joseph, the husband of Mary, and Mary was the mother of Jesus who was called the Messiah. I'm so glad that Joseph's name is included in this genealogy. It almost wasn't. And maybe you caught that earlier. If not, you're going to catch it here in a minute. Joseph's name almost didn't appear on this list, I guess you could say, from a human standpoint, but it is there. And I love that because, as you know, Joseph... Isn't Jesus' real dad? I mean, he's not his biological father, yet here is his name in the genealogy of Christ. And he is a figure we're going to look at tonight and perhaps get some insight into what Christmas really means to us today. So join with me again as we look at Matthew 1 and we're going to be looking at this birth narrative of Jesus beginning in verse 18. Let's look at it again. This is how the birth of Jesus the Messiah came about. His mother Mary was pledged to be married to Joseph. But before they came together, she was found to be pregnant through the Holy Spirit. Now I want to point something out to you. This is the very first time that we are given a sense of the virgin birth of Jesus. We get it right here. Actually, I say it's the first time, but it's not the first time. Because if you rewind the pages of the Bible, in the Old Testament, we see a prophecy in the book of Isaiah. Listen to Isaiah 7.14. This is when we first read of the virgin birth proclaimed. Therefore, the Lord himself will give you a sign. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son and will call him Emmanuel. Listen, this is a miracle of the Holy Spirit. It's a miracle of virgin birth conceived in the womb of Mary before she was married to Joseph. What an incredible truth. Now, if you are sitting there and this whole idea brings about doubt in your mind, if this idea of a virgin birth is something that that, that just makes you think, how could it be? You're not alone. There are others who have doubts. You aren't the first person to have doubts about this. If you're someone who just finds this to be confusing as you hear about the virgin birth of Jesus, it confuses you. Join the club. Listen, it's hard for us to understand this because this whole idea of a virgin birth of Jesus, a holy conception, it's otherworldly. It's beyond our scope of knowledge. The ways of God are beyond our ways. And so you see this here. And here's what I want to give to you today. And here's what I want to ask you, I suppose, is this. How much faith do you have? I mean, here we are on Christmas Eve, coming together to worship, to consider the gift of God through Jesus. And the thing I want to ask you tonight is this. How much faith do you have? Because as you approach Christmas, we have to do it through the eyes of faith. Listen, Jesus Christ was born fully God and fully human. By the way, that's called the hypostatic union. That's a theological term. It means that Jesus was on one hand was perfectly divine and he was perfectly human. Both at the same time, the hypostatic union. Jesus Christ was born fully God and fully human. It's a miracle of the Holy Spirit. How much faith do you have? You have to listen to this narrative through the eyes of faith. Let's continue. So we pick back up in Matthew 1 verse 19. was a faithful man. He was faithful to the law, it says. In some translations, it says that he was a just man. In other translations, it says that he was a righteous man. All of these words, all of these phrases, come from the Greek word tzaddik. Zadik. And here's what Zadik means. It means that he was a person who was righteous according to the law. You see, the Jews follow the Old Testament laws. And Joseph was a person who kept the law so impeccably, he was a person who was so faithful in the law that he is declared here to be a righteous man. He wasn't just a good guy. Although I would say this, Joseph was clearly a righteous man. He was a good man. And he was a good man for the right reasons. Joseph is the kind of guy that we would like to see a generation of young men grow up to be. If you're a young man, we would love to see you to grow up to be a Joseph. In fact, I have three daughters, as you saw earlier here tonight. I would love it if my three girls could find them a Joseph one day. I'm taking applications, folks. You saw how pretty my girls are, I'm telling you. But listen, Joseph's righteousness, Joseph's goodness, it wasn't enough. His religion wasn't enough enough. I want you to think about that. This righteous man who kept the law, the religion wasn't enough. Listen to what Jesus says in just a few chapters over, Matthew 5, verse 20. Listen to this. Jesus speaking of the righteousness of the Pharisees, the priests of the day. Listen to what he says. He says, listen, I tell you that unless your righteousness surpasses that of the Pharisees and the teachers of the law. Goes beyond it. You will certainly not enter the kingdom of heaven. He says, look, you you think these guys are good and righteous, the people you think are perfect and being religious? Well, unless you can top them, it won't get you into my, my eternity with my Father in heaven. The religion isn't enough. And so here we have Joseph. Here we have Joseph. On the verge of walking away from being the earthly father of Jesus Christ. Because of his religion. Because he couldn't wrap his head around this idea that that Mary had been born a virgin. You have your doubts. Joseph had his doubts. It was confusing to you. It's confusing to Joseph. Listen, here's what God's doing. God interrupted Joseph's religion. And invited him into a life of faith. He interrupted his religion and invited him into a life of faith. You know, this reminds me of another story in the Bible. A story that Jesus told a parable. It's called the parable of the prodigal son. Maybe you've heard of it. It's in Luke 15. And there's some main characters that are part of the story. Among those characters, we have a father. And then there's a younger brother. And there's an older brother. Well, here's the gist of the story. The younger brother goes to the father and says, listen, give me my inheritance. I want to go and do my own thing. And so he receives the inheritance, and he goes out on his own, and he blows it all. He blows the whole inheritance. He finds himself in a terrible set of circumstances and decides to come home to his father. Now, when he comes home to his father, his father doesn't hold it over his head His father doesn't say, I told you so. No, just the opposite. He welcomes him warmly with open arms. He runs to him. And he gives him all sorts of of blessings. They have a great feast. He puts clothes on. him. He gives him a ring. He puts these new shoes on his feet. It's incredible. The older brother, well, he ain't having it. In fact, here's what you hear in in Luke 15. I'll just read you a couple verses from this parable. The older brother, when this younger brother came home, became angry and refused to go into the party that his father was throwing. And so his father went out and pleaded with him. But he answered the father, look, all these years I've been slaving for you and never disobeyed your orders. Yet you never even gave me a young goat so I could celebrate with my friends. But When this son of yours who has squandered your property with prostitutes comes home, you kill the fattened calf for him? Do you hear it? Listen, we're talking about Joseph as this religious guy. Well, this older brother paints a picture of religion for us. Paints a picture. You know what I know what religion looks like? We see it right here. Here's the first thing we see. It's prideful prideful the older brother is prideful and this is a part of what it looks like to be a religious person let me break it down for you a little bit more prideful right so so if you find yourself being a person who is constantly blame shifting shifting blame it's not my fault it's his fault it's not my fault I got a ticket that guy was going fast I was just following him ever said that before I have It's the other guy's fault. It's the other person's fault. If you find yourself consistently blame shifting, then perhaps you are falling into the trap of religion. It's not my fault. It's their fault. You know what else pride tends to look like? It tends to look like this, the comparison trap. Well, at least I'm not as bad as that guy. I mean, I may have my flaws, but do you know know what they did? You know what that person has done? It's blame shifting. That's what pride can look like. So the older brother is prideful. That's a part of this, this picture of religion that's painted through the older brother. He hear him. Did you hear him in there? I've never, I've never done anything. I've been obedient. I've been faithful all these years. I never did anything wrong, is what the older brother says. That is the spirit of the older brother. Here's another element of the picture of religion that's painted by the older brother. The older brother is un. Forgiving he's unforgiving he couldn't forgive this brother he couldn't forgive his father. you know what? just this morning, I found myself struggling to forgive someone over a, over a very small thing, I, I came across a person's posts on Facebook and it reminded me of something that they had said that really hurt me and irritated me and in that moment what was drawn up in me? Feelings of unforgiveness, resent. Well, that, that's the spirit of the older brother. That is, that, is a, that is a portrait of what religion looks like. To be unforgiving, to, to not understand the grace that's been given, the, the forgiveness that's been offered to us by the Father through Christ. There's one more thing that I want to point out about this, this idea of a portrait of what religion looks like. The portrait of religion also looks like this. It's when we want the father's stuff, but not the father. The older brother wanted the father's stuff. He didn't want the father. What did he want? He wanted the party. He wanted the robe. He wanted the shoes. He wanted the ring. He wanted the fattened calf. And he got none of that. He didn't want necessarily his father and a relationship with him. If you find yourself coming to God and saying, God, give me health. God, give me prosperity. Without truly seeking him and wanting to know him. Well, that's what religion looks like. So this this older brother paints a picture of religion, but let's let's not fool ourselves. Both brothers the younger brother, who went off in his own way and lived wildly and carelessly and recklessly, and the older brother, both are sinful. Both are sinful. The younger returned to his father in faith, though, while the older brother held on to his religion. He held on to his religion. And in the end, it's the older brother who is lost. This story of the prodigal son reminds us of the promises of Jesus. The grace of Jesus. And what are those promises? What is that grace? Well, we read about it again in this birth narrative of Jesus. We're back in Matthew 1. Pick up with me again in verse 21. After Joseph decides he's going to divorce Mary, after he's visited by the angel, and the angel says, no, don't do it. This baby is born of the Holy Spirit. Here's what happens. Verse 21. She will give birth to a son And you are to give him the name of Jesus, the angel says, because he will save his people from their sins. I have a Kenyan friend. His name is Maurice. And Maurice has children. And he's given his children very vivid names. I remember when he called me and told me about the birth of these friends. His first child is named Amazing Grace. That's her name. Second child is named Brave. Third child is named Hungry. I'm kidding. No, there's no third child. But he has a daughter named Amazing Grace. He has a son named Brave. And I thought that to be kind of funny. You know, we don't, we don't name kids in our culture like that. My daughter, I have a daughter named Lucy. Lucy means light. I know what her name means, but we call her Lucy. We don't call her light, right? Well, listen, it's different in the culture of Jesus. And that culture, it's more like my friend Maurice, if if someone's named a certain name, it doesn't mean that name, it is that name. So Jesus, the name in Hebrew, Yeshua. You know what it means? It means God saves. That's what's translated. And so anytime that this Jesus was called by his name Yeshua, they weren't saying Jesus, they were saying God saves. Hey, God saves. Come here. Hey, God saves. I need you down here for dinner. God saves is his name. That is who he is. And what does he do? He is born to do this. He will save his people from their sins. Well, who are the people? We are the people. We are the people. And he has come to save sins of the younger brother and sins of the older brother. All sins. He has come. Here's what's happened. Jesus came to show us the way out of religion and the way into a life of faith. That is why he came. This is what Joseph, the righteous man, discovered. That God had called him not to just be a religious man, but to be a person of faith who trusted fully in him. So listen, and I want you to hear this. Jesus interrupts our religion. And invites us into a life of faith. Jesus interrupts our religion. All our attempts at being righteous on our own. And he invites us into a life of faith. Trusting in him. Believing in his name. It's not by our good works. It's by faith in Christ. Well, you may say, well, how how does this even work? I mean, how does this even work? How do, I, how do I go from being religious? How, how do I unlearn the ways of trying to be good, trying to be righteous on my own and live this life of faith? Well, let me tell you a personal story. Can I tell you that? So I grew up here in the Pittsburgh area and I grew up in a blue collar neighborhood. Loved my neighborhood growing up. My parents worked in the industry locally and it took me to church. They taught me right from wrong. And that, that blue collar vibe that I had in my neighborhood and in my family, it, it was essentially passed on to my way of thinking about faith. Just as people in my neighborhood worked hard for a living and they got what they had coming to them, in the same way, the way I thought about faith, the way I thought about religion, was that it was something that I had to be good. I had to follow the rules. I had to do things, maybe some, I did not do the things that some other people were doing. Well, all that changed during the summer of 1993. In the summer of 1993, there was a Billy Graham crusade that came through town. Anyone remember that? I actually got a picture. It was at Three Stadium. It was at Thriver Stadium. It takes you back. Wasn't that a great place, by the way? I miss it. And Billy Graham that night, he told the story of Jesus. Billy Graham shared about the miracle of salvation through Jesus and when I heard that, all of a sudden I realized that God was inviting me to a life of faith. So I went down to the three-verse stadium carpet. How cool was that? Lifelong Steelers and Pirates fan. And on that night, my life changed as I embraced the miracle of salvation, the story of Jesus Christ, the story that we're celebrating here tonight. Here's what God did. God interrupted my religion. And he invited me into a life of faith. I want to tell you this. God is doing the same thing for you this Christmas. We're gathered here tonight together to sing these songs and to consider the birth of Jesus. But it's more than just a commemoration. It's an opportunity. It's an opportunity for all of us to consider how we have slid into religion away from a life of faith. You have the opportunity tonight, even now in your seat, as you consider Jesus, to be mindful of this, that God has interrupted our religion and invited us into a life of faith, trusting in him, believing in the name of Jesus, knowing that it's not by our works that we're saved, but only through faith in Christ alone. There's another verse that's a part of this birth narrative in in Matthew 1. And it says this, The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. God with us. Listen, God is with us even now. The birth of Jesus reminds us of this. And this Jesus who is with us, he has come to save us. He is God saves. He's come to save us from the sins of the younger brother. You've been living wildly. You've been off the rails. You've been doing your own thing. You're in the midst of blowing it all. Listen, Jesus, Emmanuel, God with us. God saves. He's come to interrupt your life and invite you in a life of faith. Come on. Are you living like an older brother? Are you someone who's harboring unforgiveness? Are you someone who is struggling to let go of the things that people have done against you? Do you find yourself comparing yourself to other people? Are you after the Father just for what he can give you, not for him? Listen, God has come. Jesus has come to invite you into this life of faith and interrupt that religion. I, give a, I got a great way for you to respond to this tonight. In a moment, we're going to sing Silent Night, a tradition And churches around the world on Christmas Eve, and you're gonna have a candle in your hand. And you're gonna have an opportunity to light that candle. And listen, you can light that candle out of religion. You're here, everyone else is doing it, it's in the moment, you can raise that candle, or perhaps you can put some more consideration behind it this year. Perhaps you can consider the lighting of this candle to be your expression of your faith, not your religion but your faith. I encourage you to do that. As this candle comes by, and we're going to get instructions in a moment, would you say to the Lord, God, I trust in Jesus. Thank you for him. And as you raise that candle, let it be your expression of a life devoted to being lived in faith, not religion. Amen? Well, listen, I want to pray, and then we're going to proceed with this singing. Bow your heads to me, please. Father, thank you so much for interrupting this world with the birth of Jesus Christ. What an incredible truth. What a powerful mystery. Thank you, Lord, for sending Jesus. And Father, as we come in this place tonight, we're so excited about Christmas and this holiday season. Father, I pray, though, that it, as we stand at the cusp of it, that we would consider how you've interrupted our lives, that you interrupt religion and invite us into a life of faith. If you're one of these people tonight who's lived like a younger brother this past year, you have an opportunity now to turn to Christ in faith. It's as simple as saying, God save me. I believe in Jesus. I believe he's the son of God. I believe that he was born of a virgin, He died on a cross, and he rose again. God saved me. It's that simple. You could say that now. You could take that step of faith and say that in your heart even now. If you're someone who's been harboring unforgiveness, if you're someone who's been after God just purely for what he can give you. If you've been living a life of religion, listen, God is gracious. (laughs) He was so gracious to Joseph, and he's gracious to you and me. And he says, let me interrupt that, and let me invite you into a life of faith. You can say to God, God, I need you. God, help me to live a life of faith. God, as we sing this song and we light these candles, we want to make this more than just an exercise. We pray, God, that this would be thousand or more people gathering together an expression of faith and saying yes we believe in Jesus the light of the world and our faith is in him it's only by his name and by his blood that we can come to you speak to us now Lord we pray that our worship would be loud and joyous and pleasing to you we love you we thank you for Christmas We thank you for Jesus, the one who interrupts the religion of this world and invites us into a life of faith. We pray it in his name. Amen.